The Athletic. Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Race Formula E podcast. As we speak, we're bang in the middle of a yawning eight-week gap in the calendar. So we thought it was a great time to invite Mahindra's Oliver Rowland onto the show uh, for his debut. He's three races into his new challenge at the Anglo-Indian team, and he's already shown flashes of strong performance in what is the final season for this Gen 2 car. Uh, Oliver, thank you very much for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, as always, I'm joined by the race Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith. So, Sam, let's start in the time-honoured fashion. And uh, your thoughts on uh, Oliver's career in general and uh, what he's been up to in these few years of uh, Formula E. Yeah, I, I think the first time uh, I remember uh, speaking uh, to somebody about Oliver was with Derek Warwick, uh, somebody who's you know had a, a, a big part of Oliver's um, beginning of his career, certainly. And um, Derek was adamant that Oliver was a real talent and always put a lot of credence on, on what Derek says, don't you? Because he's got so much experience and the knowledge of the industry. So, that, you know, that was a that was a key memory from probably a oh, probably a decade ago now. But uh, I was there at his punter cameo in, in 2015, of course, um, which was a tough call, wasn't it? Hopping straight into a Gen 1 car for the weekend, deputising for Nick Heidfeld. So difficult to get any conclusions on that one. But then I suppose the next memory really is, is Valencia in 2018, that sort of pretty memorable morning at, at Valencia when he, you know, he, he caught a, an overnight flight and, and replaced Alexander Albon, uh, Edams, uh, which was all very dramatic and last minute. And it was, you know, kind of a crossroads in, in Oliver's career, I think, really, that that autumn. Didn't have much on and then got this opportunity and, and, and took it and ran with it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can... You can argue against um, a lot of what he's delivered in, in a team, which was, of course, was Sebastian Buemi's own own space, wasn't it? You know, he, he sort of swept all before him there. So, yeah, great. Obviously, a great one lap uh, uh, spectacle when you watch Oliver and qualify. It's always fun to do that and see how he gets on because he's super quick. And uh, yeah, it's been been very impressive those those three full years with with Edams. And now, very interesting to see how he gets on at, at Mahindra. Oliver, it's been a, a big change for you uh, over here. You've gone from, as Sam said, being at Nissan, uh, the Edam's team, the, the, the most successful team in, in Gen 1, to Mahindra, you know, a manufacturer with uh, a lot of history in Formula E, but to the outside world, probably not a brand that they're particularly familiar with. How has that change been? What's been the, the biggest difference between the two? I think uh, just going back to what Sam was saying when we, we first met back in Valencia, I think Sam knew I was there before my mum did. Um, I was told <laughs> so to keep it extremely secretive. And when I landed, I opened up and he already knew that I was there. So uh, that was uh, that was pretty impressive. But yeah, I think um, obviously it's different. I was I was with Nissan for three years. I also was with Dams in Formula 2 back in 2017. So I knew the whole team. I was quite comfortable in my environment there. And I guess that's why it was quite easy for me to make the transition already in 2018 um, in season five. I think coming over to Mahindra, um, the difference is that I, I guess I would probably say that I'm more of a Seb at Mahindra than I was at Nissan. At Nissan, I didn't have to rely on myself to push the team forward as much as what I do now and really drive the development because Seb was really the the driving force behind that. Whereas coming into Mahindra with the experience that I've got now, I feel like I have to almost take a slightly more senior role and, and try and drive the team forward in the best way I can. Um, obviously, it's been challenging to get used to different people 
Um, used to working with French people and now majority are English. Um, it's nicer to be closer to home. But um, yeah, it's, there's been some challenges, but I think as um, as we saw in the first three races, we have a lot of speed. It's just to, to piece it all together, really. Yeah, talking of the speed, we've had three races, although they, they came thick and fast in the very start of the season. How do you assess the performance that's come from there? It's been a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, it has. I think uh, the one lap pace has been reasonably good. Um, you know, we were in the duels twice in Saudi. We didn't make it any further than the first one due to the first day mistake for me. And the second day I was in the wrong group, which meant that then the tyres were too cold for just an outpush around Saudi. Um, then in Mexico, again, the pace was reasonable. It wasn't as good as it was in Saudi. Um, but I think that is a little bit more down to track and, you know, very, very close cars in the fourth year of Gen 2. But um, I was pretty pleased with how we were in the race, to be honest, in Mexico. We were pretty efficient. Um, I made the mistake in qualifying, so I had to come from the back. But the car was efficient and I was really coming forward. And actually, um, with the energy advantage that I had in the beginning, had I maintained that, I would have probably finished in the top five. I know a lot of people dropped back because... Porsche ended up stretching it one lap, but um, if you look at the energy after a third of the race, then I had as much, if not a little bit more than the Porsche. So had I stuck with that strategy rather than trying to charge through a bit earlier, then then things may have turned out slightly differently. At what point did it become apparent of what Porsche were doing? And I guess it was too late to, re- to respond to it by then. Um, too late for us, to be honest. Um we It was me that asked, well, they didn't tell me when they, they asked me to start pushing through the pack a little bit which I did and it's not often in Formula E start to carve through the field the way I was doing so I kind of asked the question what what's is there something going on and they're like well it's very close for Porsche to extend the lap so to be honest at that point I felt like there was no reason for them to why would you normally it doesn't make any sense if it's one second and you have a gap like that you would just back off and finish the race flat out because it's easier to defend like that and safer because it's one more lap um, so it was a risk, but at the same time, I I think only them flexing their muscles really made them go an extra lap, to be honest, and, and not actually anything else. Showing them that they were very dominant and they wanted to show that, I guess. I was thinking afterwards that had Mercedes, obviously the Mercedes cars backed off quite early and ended up dropping far down the field. Had they shortened that race in particular, they probably would have took more points off them, um, which for me would have been a little bit a, a bit of a smarter decision to take because in the end by extending the lap the guys that had risked and got in between them and the Mercedes ended up losing the the track the ground to them anyway so it would have probably been a little bit more smarter for their team championship to to maybe try and do the less laps rather than more no that's a, that's a good bigger picture analysis so so I'm off you made of the opening of Oliver's season. Obviously, there was that incident with uh, Robin Frines in, in Deria. Yeah, it got, got off to a bang, didn't it? I mean, uh, it's pretty un- two uncompromising races going for it. And it was, you know, I think for everybody apart from the people in, in those respective teams, it was quite quite entertaining. Obviously, it ended in, in a pretty messy, uh, unsavoury manner with, with Oliver getting surfed into the wall there. Um, you know... <sighs> I suppose if you stand back and look at it with a bit of hindsight or or whatever you want to call it, you know, 10 laps into a season, it's it's probably a bit too much. I mean, I'm not going to apportion blame with anyone. I spoke to both Oliver and, and Robin, <clears throat> excuse me, after that race. And um, as ever, they, they both had their own versions. But it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty full on scrap. Um, didn't end well. And, and ultimately, it, you know, it, it, it ended Oliver's race and severely compromised Robin. So 
there were no winners in it. I mean, you do get this um, this situation quite often in Formula E. And as I said, you know, I don't think there's anyone on that grid that isn't uh, uncompromising. Other, you know, they're 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 pretty uh, pretty savvy streetwise racers, and 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 these things do happen. I, you know, I think I think if you ask both of them, that they have the same opinion that it was unnecessary. Um, but you know, um, um, immovable objects and irresistible forces and all that it it does it does often happen. But I was I was quite surprised actually how candid Robin was afterwards. You know, he was fairly straightforward on it on it. And in in the piece that we wrote, he he um, he confessed he just turfed Oliver off. Um, which um, yeah, it's not it's not it's not a great look, is it? But you know, as I said, it, it happens dozens of times during a season and the interesting part of it for me and something I asked Oliver about actually after that race was that the FIA have been pretty vocal uh, to me saying that they want to um, they want more consistency in the application of of, uh, of penalties and so forth and you know I, 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 I certainly question that and other things that have happened already this season we're only three races in aren't we and I'm, I'm not sure that um, the consistency is it's improved at all um, when you consider a lot, uh, quite a few things that have gone on. I mean, you know, we talked about the grasses race, didn't we, in Mexico, separate thing. But um, you know, Lucas did get penalised, but you know, he, he had contact with four or five drivers in that race. Um, and then Jean Eric Verne got that penalty, uh, not a penalty, he got a reprimand. Sorry, he didn't get a penalty, he got a reprimand for that incident with Nick De Vries, which you know, I've not spoken to anyone who isn't baffled by that. So, yeah, it was. Um, it, it was yeah, not the ideal start for for Oliver. I mean, do you, I mean Oliver? Do you see it in sort of different eyes now? That sort of thing. Like, can you can you do you rationalise it and replay it and look over it and different angles and so forth? I mean, I mean, I'm I'm all for you know. I I, I grew up racing that if you're a bit strong and you get give dealt a bit back, then that's a good way to deal with it. You know, and better dealing with it like that than in the stewards. I think the move was on okay he turned in we had a bit of rubbing and then it was kind of over I think his reaction was a little bit excessive but I also get it you know you need to sometimes put your foot down and ensure that you're not there to to take any rubbish I guess um I, to be honest I don't worry too much about what actually happened there because the the first three or four races for me are all about getting used to the team and the car so you know I mean, in that race, I was in seventh or eighth or something. So it's not massive points, and I'd rather risk a little bit to move move forward quickly. So, of course, it was a little bit disappointing. I I do feel like there's some things with the stewards that are difficult to understand sometimes. Um, also, the fact they don't talk to you anymore; they just issue you penalties after the race. It's it's quite disappointing for it to be handled like that. Sometimes they want to use the book and how it's written. Sometimes they don't use the book and it's like, we'll use one or the other. So we just need a little bit more consistency there. For example, on the first day, they, they gave me a three-place grid penalty for, I did 35 kph in the pit lane for 10 meters during the, during the groups. I didn't really impede anybody when they gave me another three-place grid penalty. They just, I don't think they always realise the severity of a good penalty, but it is what it is. Um, I'm pretty happy with where I am and the way that we're moving as a team. So, yeah, I guess the the Robin thing is is done now. I'm 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 well over it. You know, I don't hold grudges like that, and and hopefully we can have some good racing in the future. Next up, we've got the uh, the race in Rome, where there's 
arguably you should have had a, another win there last year. Um, I think Sam and I are both very um, keen on the place. So and what, what do you like about it so much? Uh, for me, it's challenging. It's, um, it's one of those tracks where I think as a driver, you can make a bit of difference. Um, I hope they don't say that and I'm rubbish this year, but... <laughs> Um, no, I just think it's challenging. It's bumpy. It's up and down. Um, there's a lot of variety of corners. Um, you have to have confidence in the car. I think it's just a, it's a real big challenge and it's a longer track. And there's just a, a big variety of corners, to be honest, that I really, really enjoyed driving last year. And, and I had confidence in my car, so I was competitive. So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good place to go. Um, and, and certainly the new track was really good. So I'm looking forward to, to going there again and, and hopefully having a, a similar level of performance. Sam, you uh, said at the top of the show the amazing pace that uh, Oliver's shown so far. How would you rank him in the uh, overall list of best one-lap performers in Formula E at the moment? Um, right up there, definitely. Um, I think he's been... He's been mega at qualifying since mostly since the start, since um, he came in and he had that run of poles, didn't he, at Sanya, Paris and Monaco, although he didn't actually start from pole at Monaco, he, he set the fastest time. Um, and, and, and really exciting to watch. I mean, there's when um, when the cameras get on him for um, for qualifying um, and he's, you know, he's obviously he's not been. You've not been through to the to the jewels yet, have you, Oliver? Yeah, I've have twice in Saudi. I was there. Oh, you have. There you go. Um, we'll edit that so, out, Sam. Little <laughs> <laughs> um, no, send me to these I'm, races, don't I? I might have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna redress the balance now with some with some stats, uh, some other stats. So, you know, I I, I looked at Oliver's um, career, and actually, in in Renault three point five. He um he got ten poles across two seasons in in fourteen and fifteen. Obviously, took the title in in fifteen. So it's always been a I think a strong part of his part of his armory there. But in in Formula E, coming in in that in season five as he did at a very late stage had I think what three days testing Oliver. One of those was wet I think as well, or maybe one and a half or wet. one. I had one day. I had yeah, half a day in Valencia. That was it before the first one. Yeah. So. Even more remarkable to go to the tracks, but I remember the one at Paris. You know, Paris is a pretty simple track, and it's you know you're talking you're talking thousands of a second covering uh, hundreds and thousands of a second covering covering drivers there, and and he he got it done. And to then do it at Monaco, a place he you know I know he's extremely adept at, was was interesting to see as well. But I think it's the manner of it, it's the style. It's it's kind of not leaving a great deal. Um, a great deal on the table it's all um sometimes it's all uh, arms and elbows controlled aggression to the extreme and it's you know it's great to watch i know it's probably a bit nerve-wracking for his engineers and whatever and you know sometimes it it, it it doesn't quite come off you know but often it does and i think last year he was the second best on average qualifier behind verline um in terms of in terms of where he was on the grid uh sort of seventh place on the grid which is pretty when you consider the you know the method that was used last season and all the variables and and everything that that people were were going on about um with the track evolution which was a reality you know it was it was happening but but others others were better uh, sorry oliver was better than a lot of others in, in getting the job done and you know i think that actually that means 
that I'm sure that means quite a lot to him, um, and I'm sure it does, obviously, to the teams that he's racing with, and it, you know, it gives a good platform for 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 the races. So um, yeah, it's, it's always like I said, you know, actually watching him at, at work is there, there is an extra sort of uh, buzz in the in the media centre when he's when he's on one, which is you know, which is uh, always good to see. And I think you know, Formula E is such a such a mix of aggression and um, brain power, isn't it? I mean, it's a, that's why I love it. I think it's you always still get that sort of slightly reflexy, you know, balls out racing uh, and qualifying in particular. Um, and then you get the more cerebral stuff in the, in the race usually uh, in terms of strategies and and the, the energy targets and numbers and you know the regening and all that sort of thing the multitasking element. But ultimately, you know, when you got to get you got to get a lap time in in qualifying when it matters and you've got one shot at it. Um, yeah, I put him in the I put him in the top um, at, at least the top half dozen, but probably the top two or three in the championship really. Well, Oliver Sam mentioned Monaco and the sort of strong pace but bad luck you've had there in the past and um, that comes pretty hot on the heels of the the Rome race you must be itching to set the record straight there yeah absolutely I think um I mean given the first three races and the potential we've had I think going to those two tracks which predominantly I've done well at in the past I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to um I think we can do a good job there um and, and I'm actually really positive and and quite relaxed about the whole situation moving forward so yeah looking forward to getting there and uh and getting the results that we deserve now we don't want to take our eye too much off of the season that's actually happening but it's only a matter of weeks or so or maybe months that before Mahindra get their gen 3 test car and you can start work on the development of the next iteration of where uh the, the world's premier all electric series is going uh, how excited are you about doing something like that and, and how much of an appeal is that of, of the series for you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to driving the Gen 3 car. I think given the extra power and the not much more downforce, I think they're going to be extremely challenging. Um, personally, I think um, it's going to be a challenge for a lot of the teams. There's going to be a lot of movement as well with manufacturers moving to different teams and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's going to be a really interesting transition for Formula and something that hopefully um, we can capitalise on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting going and, and getting some laps under the belt and, and just experiencing the car, seeing what it's like. I think I think one thing that is um, maybe not concerning but interesting is going to be the, the level of the tyres because already with treaded tyres, it's, um, it's quite difficult. And I think Michelin do a fantastic job. Um, it's going to be very interesting with another hundred kilowatts to see how how these new tires handle it, and, and it's going to be extremely interesting to see how that's managed across the races as well. So yeah, really looking forward to getting going. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like most of my focus is still on Gen Two and and getting that um, underway really, and, and hoping that we can have a good season. Um, you've been keeping tabs on all the Gen Three developments over a while. What do you make of the Mahindra ZF? set up and uh, what they might be expected to do next year I, I think it's really interesting um, I mean it's super tough for the teams they're going to have this kind of interwoven um, racing program going on with the test and development program um, the pre-homologation testing they're going to have to do as a manufacturer uh, they only get a certain amount of days for that and then you know you've got performance testing as well so and the time frame of it is super aggressive I actually looked yesterday at when the gen 2 car 
um, which was obviously a massive departure from the Gen 1, that actually tested in a group test in March um, of the previous season. You know, it debuted in Deere at the end of 2018, but it actually first ran as a, in a group test, manufacturer test in, in March. Now, we're in March now, and, you know, my... Um, my eyes and ears are saying that the, the, the team, the earliest the teams are going to be testing these is probably the end of May at, at the earliest. You know, they get their hardware at the beginning of May and then they've got to, they've got to assemble it and get it all together. And, and, and I don't think anyone's going to be testing it until the end of May. But then you think, well, actually, you know, they go from Berlin. There's that run of races of Rome, Monaco, Berlin, all in sort of six weeks. And then you've got a trip to Jakarta and back as well at the beginning of June and then you've got Vancouver at the end of June stroke early July there are very few windows to get a proper dedicated um you know run of days in so it's it's got to be super forensic in terms of scheduling and very well organized to get to get all that in place and and that's without any you know any issues and there always is issues in racing you know whatever they they may be in the constituent parts of the car and as Oliver said they're you know they're, they're mostly new I mean yeah Sparker Sparker the one consistent thread throughout it but Hankook tires uh the hiking power as as Oliver said um and then you know you got a new a completely new battery um as well with new cells and so forth so um I think we're the only media um that has spoken to Benoit Trellier who has been testing the car on behalf of Spark and the FIA. And it was really interesting to hear what he was saying about it. He said that he was super surprised just how quick it was. And I think there's going to be a real leap in terms of, of lap times. And we talked about Rome earlier. I mean, how spectacular is Rome going to be with this thing next year? I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm sure Oliver's looking forward to driving it on that, uh, that place in particular. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Mahindra, I, think, uh, I think Mahindra really well set up. Um, I was at ZF's facility for the launch in Solihull um, a few months back before the season started. Very impressive. You know, I think ZF are, are, are very committed to it. I think, um, you know, Dillbags goes through sort of different iterations of the team and is adding parts to it. We'll wait and see how, how that develops this season. But yeah, I think they're, they're reasonably well set up for it. It's just, like I said, it's just going to be them experiencing what every other manufacturer is experiencing in, in this really condensed time frame. And if the championship begins in December this year, blimey, you know, that's everyone's going to be flat out basically from May or really Rome, I suppose, right through until the start, start of next season. Uh, so it's all going to be about resources, both human and um, you know, commercial and, and all the rest of it. But yeah, I think, I think Mahindra have got, got a reasonable framework to work with. Almost clearly uh, an exciting period for you. Like say you're, bedding in with the new team, got the new car on the way forward. Are you satisfied with where you are now in your career? Is Are you sort of looking at the, a future as a Formula E driver or do you still sort of keep your eye on what's going on in other parts of the world, particularly with maybe, I don't know, what's going on in sports cars or whatever? Yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm very happy with what I do. I, I find it extremely challenging. I like that nearly anybody on the Formula E grid can, can win a race. You know, when you go there... Really, anybody can be competitive. So I'm very happy with where I am in terms of my career. Of course, I always look around at other things. I think it's quite interesting, obviously, what's going on with work and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of BOP, if I'm completely honest. Um, I don't like that people can change your performance based on how competitive you are. But, um, yeah, yeah. to be honest, I'm, I'm happy with what I do. If other opportunities come along, then... 
then great. But um, at the moment, I'm, I'm fully focused on what I'm doing and hopefully can keep doing a good job in Formula E. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We came into Formula E in probably the, one of the most uh, enviable positions, and that was his teammate Sebastian Buemio, who up until then was arguably the fastest driver in the series. How useful and an experience was it being next to him and how much were you able to learn from him and exchange information and stuff yeah it was interesting um I, well, the first time I met him I thought he was uh he was quite unapproachable and wasn't really sure what to think of him but um honestly on the on the driving side I, I wouldn't say I learned loads but just on the experience side and dealing with the car dealing with the team dealing with people seeing how he works and his work ethic I learned an awful lot um, you know, you learn the basics when you're coming through the ranks of how to maximise the car performance and things like that. And formerly it was just a, you know, a small step in another direction because everything works in a very similar way. But he was able to show me a lot of things that kind of probably matured me as a, as a person and an individual. Um, and it was I, I had a lot of fun. We were very good friends for the three years that we were together and we still are. So. Had a lot of time from him. He's still extremely quick. I know last year wasn't his best year in terms of performance and things like that. Um, but I, I have no doubt of his speed and 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 as well as his, uh, he never gives up and he's got this uh, extremely hardworking attitude. So I, I expect him and Nissan to to be back at some point um, as competitive as they used to be. You know, I, I've known him for a long time through sports cars as well and. Oliver's right, you know, I think people who don't know him or approach him and, um, you know, they, they they seem to think that he, you know, he is, he is a bit a bit frosty or, or just, you know, doesn't want to be chatting or doesn't like small talk. I don't think he really does like small talk. He, he loves to talk racing. So if you get him on mm. any aspect of racing, he'll, he'll go on forever. Um, but people forget that, you know, he's he's been at Le Mans now for, what, 10 years probably? And in that time, he's probably had, I'm trying to count now how many teammates he's had, Nakajima, uh, Davidson, um, obviously Hartley, Alonso, you know, very different, disparate characters. And, you know, I've never heard anything other than good things about him as a team player. And you don't you don't win the amount of endurance races that he's won without being a good team player. Now I'm not saying that, you know, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to beat his teammates because racing drivers always do, don't they? But when it comes down to it in a, in a sort of cohesive team ethic, I think he worked pretty well. You know, there's there's been some like moments with with Oliver definitely over the, you know, a few over the season, but that's all down the grid. Um and there was that documentary, wasn't there? Um that Formula yeah. E did. <laughs> there was that great um debrief when um when Seb is, is sort of going off on one, and Oliver's <laughs> Oliver's sort of looking in wonder at, at Remy in the full flight, and then and then Sebastian turns to the camera and just goes, "Turn that off." <laughs> it's it's one of the great moments of that little series, and uh, yeah, I hope, I hope it never changes. It's it's terrific value. He um yeah he was he was obviously an interesting character, but 
when I first came to Nissan, I was quite surprised because he always said to me, he made it very clear from the moment that I arrived, or, or it was very clear through team, through either Francois, Jean-Paul, you know, Seb wants a competitive team. I remember when I came to Valencia, I felt like I had to impress Seb more than the team because I think it became apparent that he 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 did, he decided with the team that if we want to push forward as a team and as a manufacturer, then we need two competitive drivers. And clearly in season four, they felt like they lacked a little bit in that area. So it was really interesting when I first came, I felt like it was, you know, we need a competitive driver alongside Seb to push the whole team forward. And he's open to making that driver better. You know, so when I came, I was a bit, I was a bit thinking to myself, is he actually going to, you know, back this sort of stuff up? And he absolutely did. And in the end, he helped me tremendously. But that just shows where he was at in terms of maturity and understanding how to get the best out of Formula E, even back in, in you know, end of season four, start of season five. Last year, you joined Sam and I in the best club in the world, which is obviously Dad Club. Um, how do you think that's uh, changed your approach to racing? I don't think it's not changed my approach at all, to be honest. A lot of people ask me this, and funny, when I was with Nissan, I knew I was going to be a dad for a long time before I told them, just because I wanted to make sure that I was still quick. Um, because a lot of people say when you have kids, it slows you down. But of course, it's really nice to be at home and you think about some other things in day-to-day life, but I'm I'm still the same person when I get on the track. I think um, I still have that same desire to win when I put my helmet on. And, and actually, to be honest, I'm pushing harder than ever behind the scenes with the team to try and make things better. So it's the one of the best clubs, or it probably is the best club in the world, um, but I'm not sure it's changed how I am as a racing driver, but um, I enjoy it a lot. And it's, it's really awesome to see her growing up and changing and, and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it makes you any slower. I think it makes you more focused. Um, maybe make you more aware of the uh, other idiots around you, but I don't think it, it does anything other than that. Yeah, I, th- I feel like motorsport these days, I mean, I could maybe get it a bit more in the past when it was really dangerous and you know your life was a bit more at risk but I don't feel like that's the case so much anymore and and for me I, I want to do a good job and I want to be successful to give her a better opportunity in life as well you know so I think as you said in terms of focus and helping you understand I think it really it makes you work hard and make sure that you're doing a good job because you also have she needs she relies on you for the next however many years so um yeah, I think that's that's really my take on it. She she's got a, a ready-made manager as well for karting in the W series oh. in a few years as well. Yeah. yeah, she's already got all the engines in the garage. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. <laughs> I know that. In the green room before we started recording this part, or in fairness, when I was having technical difficulties before we could get this podcast started, uh, you and Sam were talking about your training regime and uh, more particularly about boxing and and how. Uh, how that's helping you and how unimaginably physical it is. So uh, take us a little bit through that. Yes. Yeah, so at the end of last year, obviously, I mean, it's no secret, I, I struggled a little bit with my weight and I was quite fortunate at Nissan because the car was was quite light. So even though I was quite heavy, I was able to get away with it. I mean, I was never fully on the weight limit, but it was quite close. Moving to Mahindra, I had um, the cars quite a lot heavier than, than, than what I was used to last year. Um, you know, talking like, 10, 12 kilos. So um, 
you know, I, I knew that I had to, to make an effort myself to get closer to the to the weight limit. So I started with my trainer. It's actually through my trainer at KOTWF called Sam Village. Um, he organized for me to have a, a boxing guy come to my house and I wanted to do like a bit of a fight camp. We actually still have the group on WhatsApp fight camp. So we did two or three months of you know, getting up pre-breakfast, 5k jog and then boxing in the back garden or all that sort of stuff. And and I enjoyed it. So it's something that I've continued doing. Um, we still do it now. Obviously, after Mexico, I tried to have a bit of rest and just recuperate a little bit. Um, but then obviously with the gap to Rome and now's the time to push. So we're pushing doing that. And uh, it's something that I enjoy and I enjoy getting better at a skill. And it's, uh, it's a good way to train, I guess. Any desire to get in the ring proper and because there's a lot of sort of celebrity boxing that takes place these days no not at all i don't fancy (laughs) (laughs) i got punched enough when i grew up in barnsley so i don't fancy that anymore sorry uh, robin frines is no competitor is he's he's the bantamweight (laughs) so yeah no i I definitely flatten him i'm not worried about that um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the age old issue of uh, the cost it takes to get into motorsport reared its head the other day when Jamie Chadwick announced she was going back to defend the W Series title for the fifth year in a row, whatever it is. Um, I think it's fair to say that you genuinely, unlike a lot of racing drivers, came from an incredibly um, meager background. Do you think it would be possible for someone to to follow in your wheel tracks now? I mean, it was already expensive when I did it, but I think what's changed, um, well, there's a number of, I've obviously got my own racing team in Carton and I'm helping, I'm I'm sponsoring already some kids to try and bring them to, to where I am. So I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't think it was possible. I think what's different from when I did it is that, so Hamilton made it to Formula One, I think 2007, wasn't it? And he was the first one that was kind of brought from a, a junior program where McLaren paid for him from, I don't know, the age of 13 all the way to Formula One and it worked really well. And I think what happened after that, there was this influx of teams and 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 especially in Formula One that decided that, okay, that was a really good case study. They've brought this kid from the very beginning. They've taught him the right way and we want to do the same. So, you know, you had all these Formula One programs, which for me between 2000 and seven, eight, all the way to 2012, 13 were actually really valuable because they were there to, you know, invest money in future talent to get them to Formula One. Whereas the frustration with me now lies that the majority of these Formula One programs that would help youngsters are now money-making programs and you have to pay to be on them or someone's paying this to go on it. It's not actually, I mean, there's, there are a few cases and for me, Red Bull still do a good job. You know, they pick the talent up and they give them a chance in Formula One. They're one of the only guys that are still doing it. But you look at a lot of other teams and there's, you know, drivers on there that really, you know, don't really deserve it other than their cash flow. So for me, that's the frustrating part is that, you know, some teams have started to make that into a money-making exercise. And for me, the way F1's booming at the moment, you know, I can understand five or six years ago, it was difficult to get a budget together. But now with the budget cap and and the size of F1, you know, we really need to dilute the investment back into the talent from a young age. And, and you know, I, I'm there and around it, but it's it's very hard until that, that money is redirected to the lower ends, I guess. 
even at some of the karting levels, though, the, some of the budgets are insane, like in the European Championship. Yeah, they, they are. But, it, you know, I, I know all the teams there. If if a kid is the real deal, there's the, there's a deal to be done. You know, right. there's I've done four or five kids over the last five years and we've managed with very little. And if you are really good enough, you can do it, of course. If you're average and maybe a late developer, then it might be difficult if you don't have the hundreds of thousands that people are spending. But I believe to get to Formula 4 or the foot of Formula 4, it's still possible without having, you know, astronomical amounts of money. But you've got to be extremely good and you've got to be extremely hardworking. And uh, if you're not at that age, then, then yeah, it's not going to happen. Oh, it's encouraging that you think that it's still possible. Sorry, Sam. No, I was just going to ask Oliver, you know, there's obviously a bit of a hole in, I suppose you call the ladder in terms of electric motorsport. You know, there's a lot of talk about a junior level. And I know that the electric karting is, um, you know, is, is taking off to some degree. I remember one whizzing around the Berlin paddock a few years ago. Um, I, I mean, have you, have you looked at that or thought, even thought about it for, for the future electric karting and, and what sort of advantages it might it might bring to, you know, have that leap into maybe a future junior Formula E of some description in you know three four five yeah. years time is it, it's something that I I would be interested in to be honest I struggle with the time at the minute to really focus myself on something like that um, I I do see its advantage I'm not sure the technology is quite there for the karting side yet um, but I see a lot of advantages obviously in karting engines play a very big role in in performance and obviously with electric motors it's probably a lot easier to control the power and how much output you've got so i guess there's the advantage of having a, a fairer playing field and of course i think the electric junior formula is something that that can evolve and, and can be good um but again it's it's finding the right person to invest the right amount of time in making sure this is a good project i'm sure if i had all my time then i could do a really good job with it but at the same time i'm trying to be a professional racing driver manage a couple of kids you know that are in karting and f4 and things like that and, and it's it's hard for me to really focus any time on on, on a side project like that oh well, yeah, i wish you the best of luck with that i think if if there is a, a way in which you know the best the cream can rise to the top regardless of uh the size of their back and that's uh you know that's what motorsport really needs but taking a, a a turn to a different sport. Sam and I often end up talking football and these things. We're both uh, cursed by supporting or lower league or even non-league teams in your case now, Sam. Um, yeah, as a Barnsley right. fan, uh, you, you you feel our pain, uh, Oliver. So do you think they're going to be able to avoid the drop from the championship this season? I mean, I hope so. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's going to be tricky. I mean, they had that great escape the other year where was it? Was it Wigan or someone had a, a points penalty before the end and then we just managed to scrape through on goal difference or something? So, yeah, I mean, last night they were leading. I feel like I'm a bit of a curse at the moment. I'm not following it every minute sort of thing because they've been losing, but I switched. I think I, know, I went on to BBC Sport to see that I knew they were playing and I checked the score and it was like 90th minute and I was like, oh, they were winning 1-0. I checked 10 minutes later and they conceded a goal in the 95th minute or something. So I don't know. There's obviously, I think there's five points between them and Reading. So, you know, anything's still possible with that in mind. So, so let's see. Who, who do you support? Uh, uh, Bristol Rovers. We're, we're on the, on the cusp of uh, the playoffs for the, for league two. So we're actually going okay. quite well at the moment. We've got uh, Joey Barton. 
revving them up with his uh, psycho halftime team talk. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and York City, um, but, you know, Vida B obviously enjoys calling them non-league. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's just the reality at the moment, sadly. But uh, at least we're, we're from the right part of Yorkshire, Oliver, from the north, you know. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, on that tangent, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I actually know Sam. You know, we have got Sam's calendar update. Um, I see that they've launched the, or re- revealed the track for the um, the race in South Africa. So you can give us a quick update on that. It wouldn't be a Formula E podcast, would it, without a calendar update? So Absolutely. yeah, uh, Cape Town, the, the Cape Town race, which should have taken place last month, um, was was eventually cancelled, um, is going to take place, we, we think, probably a similar time in 23. So that circuit will run around the Greenpoint Stadium, one of the FIFA World Cup 2010 stadiums, which hosted, I think, one of the semi-finals. Looks, looks exceptional. You know, there's the um, Table Mountain in the background and Robben Island is, is pretty close to... Um, to the circuit and, and viewable from from the track so looks looks terrific they've signed a, a, a multi-year deal I'm, I'm told that it's a, at least five years if not more um so yeah well, it looks like uh, cape town's on next year and i'm, I'm hearing that um uh, an expectation to go back to south america as well uh, at some stage early next year is is looking quite good as well i think sao paulo is is the favourite there, but you know we've we've heard that so many times before, haven't we? I think we'll we'll believe that when we read it. So, um, but I think a provisional calendar is going to come at the World Motorsport Council in June, so we'll we'll know a bit more then. Great. Well, thank you very much for the update, uh, Oliver. Thank you so much for joining us. I uh, wish you all the best of luck. Uh, I'll be out in Rome, so I'll try and catch up with you there. Thank you everyone uh, for listening. Don't forget to check out uh, all of Sam's latest Formula E content on v-race.com. and of course check out our other podcasts, including Formula One, IndyCar, MotoGP, and the mighty Bring Back B10s, which is just completing its latest series. But we'll be back again uh, with even more of your favourite content uh, in the summer. Thank you very much and goodbye. The Athletic.